Hello and welcome to Talking Adiv, episode 42. So this is a material that was created over a year ago, was left on the shelf simply because there was no solution to, to make it work. We're really excited uh, for, for that uh, possibility to, to actually enable in the industry to not only bring new materials, but also solve some of the very important um, environmental issues. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing in their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within design, manufacturing, education, and our lives? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 42nd episode for the Talking Additive podcast, the final episode for season four. Today, we are sitting down with two of the Magigoo creators, Edward Borg and Andy Linnaeus from Thought3D. So, Edward and Andy, uh, thank you so much for joining Talking Additive today. Hi, Matt. Really happy to be here. Hi, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm Edward, and uh, my role in the company, so I was one of the original co-founders, and I've always taken care of the technical background in the company, so initially it was production of Magigoo. Now this has been mostly automated. Now it's focusing and shifting the focus to the new product. So it's DryWise currently, and we'll see what the future brings. I'm Andy. I'm also co-founder of company. My role is more commercial, making sure that products are uh, entering the market, that uh, all the clients and resellers are happy with the products all the way to financial and investments, making sure that the company has enough resources to grow. Fantastic. Now, one question I ask every single guest, and I'm going to ask you two to answer this as well. How did you first encounter 3D printing? And uh, we'll switch it up and we'll go Andy and then Edward. Well, I'm the least technical in the team. Um, so I'm not using printers, to be honest, on a daily basis, but I have seen Edward and Keith uh, work around 3D printers themselves. And uh, lately I've been using 3D printing mostly for home uh, improvement, uh, some presents for my wife, um, even going all the way to design a couple of parts myself. Ah, that's great. Um, and Ed Edward, how about you? So it all started. So me and Keith were friends already. We started diving together, scuba diving. And Malta, it's very common and popular. And uh, we had an idea that we wanted to develop, which related to diving. We started trying to build a prototype, but using hand tools, it was practically impossible. And that's how we got onto 3D printing, which was still, this was still 2013. So it was still kind of the realm of universities. Still a toy, basically, everyone is trying to discover 3D printing. And that's how we started. And uh, from there, it's basically one thing led to the other. We saw filaments being quite an expensive commodity those times. So we started building our own filament producer kind of filament making machine from pallets, which were very common in injection molding, so quite cheap to get by around. And uh, basically then it all took off. So. We found issues in 3D printing and we started solving them. 
Now with the help also of Andy, we realized that actually there was something that might be commercialized and now we're here. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you started with an aim to create products in a totally different field. And then in trying 3D printing, seeing these problems, what drove you all to really decide that making magic it would be a huge contribution to this field? From a technical perspective, I think it was pretty obvious. So we were trying to offer printing services. It was really hard in those days. You have to babysit your printer, make sure not just the first layer, but all the layers actually stick, that there's no shifts. And Magigoo just made it completely easy. So you just make sure the first layer sticks, you leave the printer, and you know that in the next morning you're going to find a good print. So it was from a technical perspective that all made sense and we had the product, we were using it, we were happy. But then I think on a commercial scale, I think maybe Andy can recall this even better. So I'll leave it to him. Yes. Uh, at that time, the company was still at the incubator of University of Malta. And the incubator had multiple competitive grants, basically, where you had to apply with new idea. I think in about the same time, coincidentally, uh, Incubator was visited by one of the 3D printer producers from Netherlands, not Ultimaker. <laughs> um, and they saw all of those projects that were on the shelf of uh, 3D. And I believe they stopped at, uh, hey, there is something in, in a Nutella jar that is solving a problem, which sticks when it gets hot and releases when it cools down and uh, something that Keith and Edward would be using just internally. And then these two things kind of came together. Hey, there is seems to be a demand beyond the company and there's a good opportunity to actually launch something on a just minimum viable product scale and see whether that actually works. So at that point, did you start Thought3D or is Thought3D already existing for some of the other research work? So actually, as a company per se, registration and everything, it had already started simply because for the incubator, you needed a company kind of to apply under. Looking back, we wouldn't have done it so early because <laughs> obviously registering a company means paying taxes and all these things, having audits done, which is a hassle here. So. <laughs> But the company was already existing, but this gave purpose to the company, basically. Uh, so there's so many stories of people entering this field, because people entering the 3D printing field often come from very different areas. There's no clear single route in. And so I have to ask, did you ever finish making the scuba components that you were really excited to make? Good question. No, <laughs> we yeah. we actually didn't finish half the projects we started for two three as well. So that puts you in good company. I think so many people who come in, uh, they think, oh, okay, as soon as I have the machine, as soon as I have this material, as soon as I have you know, fill in the blank, I'll get to finally accomplish this one project. And then years later, they're like, wait, I, I never made the thing. Anyway, but um, now that you have offered this material that solves problems for a lot of people out in the world, you've probably at least helped one other company, probably thousands of other companies like yours who were just starting out. They wanted to do something and uh, they had a problem solved. So so that's it's not a tragic thing, though I'm sure some scuba divers would appreciate whatever you wanted to contribute. When you first created the company, 
and uh, were in the incubator. You know, you were a pretty small team, and you, you set on this first product to kind of get going. But flash forward to now, and you have multiple product lines and a much bigger team. Do you want to talk about that process? Yeah, it took a while. Uh, Magic on its own, I believe it was three or four iterations to get it correct. It's not just the glue, it's all the packaging, all the user experience. For Magical, I believe the first formulation had to be redone to make sure that it is easily shippable worldwide, that it's not hazardous. And then we had multiple attempts to find the perfect packaging or the bottle to, to actually apply and, and release the glue on the build plate. I believe it might have taken us two or three years with multiple new releases each year. And we, we really applaud the early customers who stuck with us over the time because uh, they would buy the, uh, the packaging and, and have all the frustrations. And uh, it seemed that the glue still was working so well for them that they have stuck till, till today with us. Then I believe somewhere in late 2017, we started getting more of attention towards industry new plastics entering the, the industry. And um, there were kind of challenges. Hey, Magical works on these common plastics, but what about polypropylene? What about polycarbonate? And we had the whole road trip to China where we visited different companies, material manufacturers, printer manufacturers, saw some trends where things are moving forward and then came back and then decided that we're going to do these different formulations for different plastics, basically. Well, that decision seems to have been a huge hit, running into people, you know, customers of Ultimaker all around the world. And, uh, you know, I see them, like, if they're printing polypropylene, they don't even think about it. Like, if they're going to print polypropylene, they need the polypropylene Magigoo. And, you know, now with the metal expansion kit that we offer at Ultimaker, part of that kit there is the material for working with Ultifuse 17.4 pH, and it uh, works marvelously. So it seems to have been an exciting direction to go. I do want to circle back. So when I was researching online about Thought3D, it was described as an R&D startup addressing critical areas to improve the experience of 3D printing, which, as you described just as we got started here. And the products have come out so far, Magigoo, all its applicators, and uh, material-specific lines, and drywise. And it's listed these are sort of supported by the R&D activity. Do I have this right? Or would you sort of change this formulation of how Thought3D works? No, I think it's quite spot on. So we always set out with an idea in mind. So me and Keith have both technical backgrounds and we like doing research, but obviously we don't like doing it just for the fun of it. When you create a product that actually solves a need, there's a, a certain rush that comes from it as well. So you're solving a problem, but this problem is not just yours. It's a bigger problem worldwide. So you get that feel good feeling kind of. And uh, this has always been something we wanted to do. So we didn't always want to produce the products themselves or having to think about all the different applicators in which a glue can be applied and going through all those different bottling systems, etc. So we just wanted to solve the issue, but then we took it the complete solution. So we didn't 
want just to have the product done and then just leave it there. We wanted to actually solve the issue and this is always what we're trying to do. So we want to have not just the solution, but the best solution that there can be. And uh, that's exactly what we're doing, I guess. Well, let's talk about the technologies that you focus on as a team. You have products for bed adhesion and for filament drying. Share with talking additive listeners what core outcomes you're targeting with each of these product lines, and then we'll dive into these products individually. Let's start with bed adhesion. Why do 3D printer operators need a solution for this? Can't they just use blue painter's tape? Good question. You always can. Uh, it depends on the use case. Our philosophy is throughout now five years that we have developed is there is no one size fits all solution, basically. Every time you're printing plastic, even the same type of plastics act differently because um, the composition of them is slightly different. Now, what manufacturers are trying to do, the aim is to remove the, even the need to apply adhesive, but it is harder than that, right? Uh, the plastic behaves very differently when it's heated up and cooling down, all the warping forces in it uh, that happen during printing, and this needs to be catered to. Then the logic of, of manufacture would be, okay, let me come up with the strongest like build plate or material that can stick basically, right? And we've seen some of very, very good uh, solutions in this realm, but again, it doesn't cater towards the open materials uh, world where you want to use same machinery with different materials. You could actually find a very, very good solution for just one type, but you would completely fail on other materials. And that's why um, the interface layer as Magico acts between the build plate and the material is the solution. And it's not only about making sure that you stick the print, it's also making sure that it's easy to remove, it doesn't damage your build plate, that it's easy to clean up, and that it's safe to use. All of these things put together are making actually a very, very hard problem to solve. In the Magiku promotional materials, the website, etc., it talks about magic release, easy release mechanism, etc. So why is this unique to your formulation and how was the challenge approached? So it all started, I think, when we created the first glue. So the only solutions on the market, again, were just something that completely sticks, never releases. And this was something that you cannot use, basically. Not just a frustration, but not a solution at all. Because it's as bad as having it move during printing. The fact that you cannot remove it afterwards. Being that most printers at the time had a glass build plate surface, and some still do today, and we still believe it's one of the best surfaces. We created the first iteration of Magic Goo, where as soon as the print was done and it was cooling down, we could hear the cracking, which is the plastic, which is completely releasing from the build plate. And you could literally just flip the build plate or just move the part on the build plate as soon as it's finished and it was no, no sticking at all. So that's why the Magic release kind of. Even with the more technical plastics and the different versions of Magigo, we tried always to keep that. With some plastics, you can achieve certain levels of release, but one key aspect of release will always happen when, if it doesn't release as much, you can always spray a bit of water 
and it dissolves it easily. And there's you still have the magic release. So that's one advantage I think that we have over all the other bit surfaces and and even the the other glues. It's really a pleasure as a user of 3D printers, as well as somebody working for a manufacturer of 3D printers, to have these kind of considerations thought through by your team of how to have that good experience of getting your part back and not destroying it and your printer right when you're looking at uh, exactly what you wanted to achieve. I think, as Andy mentioned, we call it as an interface layer between the build plate and the print. And it's exactly that. And even some people are using it on different surfaces. You mentioned, for example, blue painter's tape. We have people who are using it on blue painter's tape, on PEI sheets, on Viltec sheets, whatever, even sometimes just to use the release mechanism of the magical. So they're confident that the sheet will keep the print, but it keeps the print stuck too well. So they use magical as a release, not just as an addition, as a holding in place. I mean, you need all the insurance you can to get a print done correctly. So applying some codes of magic as an added insurance is just an easy thing to do. Why don't you walk us through your current line, both introducing the original Magigoo and uh, these material-specific formulations? We have Magigoo Original, which was the first one. It's mostly used on common plastics, uh, PLA, ABS, PETG, some of the TPUs. We made a, a larger bottle of that to cater towards really large surface areas as well. And then um, next, um, I think it was the biggest challenge was the PP, which we, we always start from the biggest challenge. The Magical VP is specifically to print with polypropylene materials. And roughly at that time, uh, also through working with Ultimaker and the third party material um, manufacturers, it was Owens Corning that had developed a specific glass fiber fill PP. And we were challenged to solve that, um, where surprisingly we had to come up with an alternative glue, which is a completely reformulation of different chemicals. And we came up with Magigoo PPGF. And um, then we worked with Polymaker on Magigoo PC, where the PC would be usually sticking to the build tack too much. And that's where Magigoo came and, and solved the issue that was used uh, universally on other surfaces. I believe um, from there on, we worked on also Magical Flex, which is for more technical, flexible materials. Um, it helped me out here what Flex was for. It's for more different TPUs, TPEs, TPCs. And then the latest one have been Magical High Temperature. Uh, which can withstand uh, 150 degrees on our very long times of print. And probably Magical Metal was the latest collaboration between BSF, Forward AM and us, where they needed something water-based, something safe to make sure that uh, it's easy to release and it doesn't interfere with chemicals in, in next post-processing steps. Yeah, and... In particular, the ultrafuse material is even more critical than I think most of our customers knew on the Ultimaker side using BASF ultrafuse. You really need a truly flat surface. So if you get under there and try to lever it off, which you can do, it might look to your eye still very flat, but if it's not truly flat, it really will uh, be damaged by the 
debinding and centering process. So it's really great. And it's been uh, such an improvement over the, like the first days of kind of figuring out how you know, we would use these materials and our customers would use these materials. Uh, now we have the little tray to put the glass plate in and, and it releases nicely. So thank you for making that. <laughs> um, so with the high temp, I guess that would be an example of where the release is particularly a critical part of that solution compared to any of the other alternative materials. What sort of materials have been the most popular ones to use that Magigoo? So I think... Uh... Developing the high temp was also one of the most challenging, given also access to resources. So getting high temperature printers in-house is quite expensive. They're all very, still very expensive, so we had to be creative about how, how we can access those as well. Um, I think we've seen it used with most high temperature materials, so Altem, Peak, Back, PEI. There's always possibility to improve, but currently I think it's one of the best performers that there are out there. Are there new formulations coming, or do you feel that the line for Magigoo right now is pretty uh, mature for uh, most of what users are looking for? current line of Magigoos, I believe, can be used by most use cases. We're always looking and open to the industry when it makes sense to make custom glues. But it seems that the very specialty new materials that are coming out are in quantities so small that it usually is still on a back burner for us to still develop solution. When it makes sense, we'll definitely consider that. But how we're helping to spread further is more of a looking to, to serve the larger community. So the newest uh, solutions have been more on a Applicator, for instance, for the large-scale printers. We have developed basically a spreading solution, which we can spray a really wide stripe of, of magic and then just very easily with a roller uh, spread it uh, over the build plate. Uh, something that can be really appreciated if you have to cover meter by meter coating or even more. And I think building on your question, I think most of the materials coming out are some derivative of already known materials, like reinforced with different fibers, for example, or at different levels. And there, since the base material is mostly the same, the current magicals are still performing correctly. So it's more when it comes to the high temperature, maybe plastics, where there's a new different type of plastic, or in the case of the metal, metal filament, for example, where that was something completely new. There, yes, if it makes sense, we will consider developing a specific magical for it as well. To add, um, us not making new formulations doesn't mean that we stopped our work, because there is so many material brands out there that we still are testing on machines and uh, making our own, how to say, improved print settings for that specific brand with Magigo products uh, so that we can serve the market again better, that we know how that material behaves and that we can support the end user when they have any issues with that material. There is already over um, 160 materials tested and that list keeps growing and it's not a small job to, to keep doing. 
And this, all the wealth, the, all the knowledge that we gather from this is also shared on, on our website. We have a magical manual, which is actually a 3D printing kind of guide. Um, from what we have learned during the years, we, we have put it out all in a book, which many people find quite good to read and uh, it gives value. And there's also the list of the materials that have been tested with the profiles created for some specific brands of printers like Ultimaker profiles and, and these make it much easier. So if you use Magigool, this printer with these settings, you're pretty much sorted and the risk of any failure is minimized. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the guide? Because it's more than just listing your products and how to use them. It really is pretty helpful for better understanding 3D printing. Well, internally, we call it like a Bible <laughs> because it consists of our blog posts over the five years of use cases, basically tackling not only adhesions, but what does it mean to have an adhesion? How does it come up in 3D printing itself? Why does warp happen? How to actually find perfect settings that we use internally? how to optimize for if certain settings don't work, solve certain problems that could be common, like glass build plate chipping and why does it happen and how to reduce the issues on, on that term. Even certain use cases specifically, how to get the best performance out of certain materials, uh, specialty engineering materials. Now we have added also new chapters into it, not just adhesion, but also uh, how moist filament acts in 3D printing and how it influences your success rate. Well, that's a great transition. Why don't we talk about filament drying? So there are a lot of tools and resources to keep filament dry or to bake out moisture before processing a spool. But your system approaches the problem a different way and seems to take the goal further. Why is filament drying such a critical part of the printing process for some of these materials? So I think it's very important, mostly because it's underestimated. So most people will have issues when they're to the printing. They will see a print which doesn't look good. And they will attribute this issue to either the printer, printer manufacturer, or the filament manufacturer. And they just assume that 3D printing doesn't work, kind of, or that their printer or their filament is at fault. Whilst in reality, it's just the material wasn't processed correctly before it was printed. And I mean, literally, you can see the difference would be night and day. So, for example, if you have a wet filament versus a clean and dry filament, as it should be. And I mean, if you've never experienced something like it, you, you wouldn't know what's happening, but you would see the results, you would see that it's not a good print, and that's all you would say. But we are trying to also educate the, the market, the people, and we want to make this very clear, kind of why is the print correct. And this also adds to the Bible or the magical manual, and uh, where a lot of the work has been done by Jean-Paul, who's our lead scientist. and. Uh, this also helps build that knowledge, kind of. So if you see a filament, you can attribute the problems that you see in a specific print, and you can understand why they are arising. Is it a problem of too much temperature in the nozzle? Is it a problem of filament not being dry? Is it a problem of the movement? The Z, Y, Xs have some shifting in them. And when it comes to drying in particular, even the fact that it's not dry enough 
will affect the printing settings as well. So a filament which is completely dry will require a certain temperature in the nozzle, whilst the filament which has moisture in it requires a different temperature in the nozzle to even be able to print. And one very easy way to tell if the filament is still wet or not is just by extruding some material. And you can actually hear it hissing and popping when it's coming out. And you can see that it's not a, a nice long cylinder kind of, of material, but it's going to be all, all over the place, full of bubbles and ugly stringing, etc. A few years ago at Ultimaker, we got a, a high-speed camera and printed some really wet nylon. I mean, not like dipped in water, but like it, it had been, it absorbed a lot of moisture and you could just see the explosions out the side. Seeing it really high speed, you know, high frame rate made it pretty obvious that things were happening in there. Hydroscopic like nylon and most thermoplastics, they would still absorb the moisture even from, from the air kind of. And that's what happens with nylons, nylon filaments, and TPUs like water a lot and PVA support materials in particular. So these are the most problematic. But then even like PP would absorb a bit less, much less than nylon. Now, without going into advanced uh, organic chemistry, why is it that these materials are so prone to absorbing humidity? So it basically goes down to the bonds in them. And they find it easy when water goes inside them. And that's basically it. So you have different kinds of nylons as well. You have different grades of nylons. And when we talk about nylons, for example, you can distinguish between PA6 and PA12. And what we've seen is that, for example, PA12 likes to absorb less moisture than a PA6 and goes the other way around as well. So when you heat up, PA12, it will be harder for it to absorb moisture, but then it will be harder for it to release the moisture as well. And the other way around, when a PA6 absorbs moisture, it will be easier for the PA6 to release that moisture. Yeah, thank you. That's that's very helpful. Uh, now let's talk a little bit more about drywise. So obviously you all are deep thinkers in the challenges of 3D printing. You have written all your notes as you go along into your uh, your, your Bible. But uh, tell the origin of this product. This would be a new key product line for you. What specific scenarios did you start out targeting? So I think actually we had the idea for this since a very long time ago. So we knew that plastics absorb moisture. We had kind of seen it happening, but... Nylon wasn't so common in those days. It was mostly ABS, PLA still. And we just shelved the idea, kind of. It was discussed, but never something we were actively working on. And this all changed once Magic was already quite well known. We saw the trends in the industry changing towards more technical materials. So PC, PA were quite common. And we said we might as well come up with something that actually solves an actual issue now. And we, we had seen what the industry is most currently doing, which is putting the filament in the oven, taking a guess how long it needs to be there, putting some settings, some, some temperatures where 
all the manufacturers suggest different settings. So it's like, what settings shall I use for this filament? How much time shall I leave it in there? How will I know when it's done? And what will I actually get out of it afterwards? These were all question marks. And that's what we set out to, to solve, kind of something that you put in the filament and you don't have to second guess yourself. And also we, we are not very good at planning stuff. So whenever we want to print a print in nylon, we, we usually forget to put it in the oven before. And this was also an issue for us. And we wanted to remove that. That's why it's in line and active drying. So you don't have to wait long hours and put it in the oven two days before or a day before overnight. And you just wait 50 minutes, 45 minutes, depending on the state of the filament, and you're good to go. You start printing and it's drying all the time. Well, I appreciate that it becomes a solution that you can just go to immediately. Um, yeah, I'm in that camp of somebody who's not necessarily always like, oh, in two days, I'm going to print this material. Let's let's get it in the dryer and uh, get it ready. Um, I'm used to using this for a fast iteration, for using 3D printing to quickly make decisions and, and jump to it. So that's one of the reasons that uh, DryWise seems like a really interesting solution for particularly facilities where they have a, a big library of materials and they want to move fast. Now, tell me if I'm correct here. I think you announced it at Formnext last year in 2021 and then have been rolling it out over this year. Where are you in your release cycle for DryWise? Well, we're gearing up internally to make sure that we can produce enough units uh, to, to meet the demand. Obviously, that is a learning curve for our company. We haven't done any hardware before, but uh, rest assured, three years of development has taught us a lot. At Form next this November 2022, we'll be also expanding um, the current version of 2.85 to 1.75 versions. And then uh, we believe by early next year, we have the reseller agreements all lined up that uh, we can push it on the market uh, big time. Other than there being a 285 and 175 version, are there any other versions or variants going out? Will this unit be compatible with a wide variety of machines? The current unit should be working with most desktop printers. Um, obviously, the way you feed your material to the printer would uh, probably need some adjustments from user to user in that case, but it shouldn't be anything uh, of too complex uh, problem to solve. We'll be increasing the amount of materials that you can dry with this. Today's versions are focused on the most hygroscopic materials of nylon and carbon-filled nylon and glass-filled nylon. Um, but we see there is demand for other materials and we'll be rolling out these uh, one by one uh, with time. And there are certain add-ons to the machine that help to uh, pre-process uh, materials with reliability. So there's a preheater, for instance, that you need to purchase uh, separately to be added to this machine to be able to, to dry uh, carbon-filled and glass-filled nylons, for instance. That makes sense. So th this is needed given the, the nature of these materials to be quite a bit more brittle. And also when you have a smaller radius as you go closer to the, to the spool, you have this small radius. Uh, there's a very sharp band 
with this add-on, it's easier to process the material and you make sure it doesn't break when it's being processed. Walk me through a scenario. Say I happen to have an Ultimaker S5, uh, which I do, just in the other room. And uh, I have some material in the, the list of those that you're sort of launching as being core material choices. What would I need to do to set up a print job so that I could use Dryerwise with it? So it's simply just following a couple of steps, which are all easily illustrated on the LCD of the device itself. And it guides you through the whole process. So asking you to choose the material that you want to insert, showing you how to cut the end of the material so it's easier for it to flow in the machine, then asking you to insert it and helping you by means of LEDs, both in the front and at the back, where we have a filament sensor. And as soon as you're pushing the material, it knows exactly how much material you've been pushing. And this is actually very helpful when you're loading the printer because you have a part of filament which has already been dried and is good to print, but then you're feeding new material which still needs to be dried. So you don't want to pull too much because then you have part of a section of material which still hasn't had the time to dry. And then after you do all this, you just hit start drying. It takes about 45 minutes, 50 minutes to process this first cycle. Then you load this in your printer and you're good to go. You can start the print and it continues drying the filament as it's being pulled through the machine. So you're certain that whenever you're printing something from the first layer to the last layer, it's always dry to the same standard. Do you think over time this kind of solution would work for some of the like extremely sensitive and brittle materials like PVAs or is that uh, out of scope? No, so currently we're testing PVAs, BVOA, so support materials, and this is the next class that we want to tackle because we know how hydroscopic they are and how <laughs> such a nuisance they are. And uh, we feel that these are possible to do. The initial testing shows very promising results, so we'll keep on working on that. And then eventually we can also focus on different classes of materials like PEG, CPE, where although they don't absorb too much moisture, the results are very visible very quickly. So even a small amount of moisture will have a great impact on the print quality. So this would be the next class. And then we'll see what, what else. But we would like to tackle TPUs as well, but these are a different beast because uh, <laughs> They're too flexible, and as soon as they're warmed up a bit, they are even more so. And these might require some additional add-ons or hardware to the device itself. So uh, with regards to the high temperature materials, they're also on our roadmap. But obviously, these are more focused towards 1.75 millimeter versions of filaments. There aren't many high temperature materials in 2.85 versions. so. These will be a bit later in the year. Talking about your customers in the current day, in general, who uses your products at present? What market segments and specific uses have you seen? And how do you expect those to change in the coming years? Oh, what a good question. <laughs> um, so Magico is resold through over 200 partners worldwide, presenting over 30 countries. In certain cases, it comes with already printers bundled or with certain solutions bundled. 
Now, who is using for us? It's really hard to see because uh, Magico is distributed by partners or resellers. So we don't get that good a uh, view in who is that end user. Judging on the requests, feedback requests, or, or just uh, support requests, or requests for safety data sheets, we can see that um, the use cases are very, very wide from do-it-yourself uh, hobby users all the way to very professional institutions, manufacturing companies, research institutions, um, aviation, automotive, without naming companies that these are all very well known, you know, brands who usually are like top 500. Now, you've mentioned uh, when we were talking about the role of this technology with the OEMs, you know, this possibility of being used and incorporated as part of other machines and processes. Uh, You also do other direct work with hardware manufacturers right now. Can you share some aspects of this sort of work or is that not available? Well, at the moment, we limit our collaboration mostly on making sure that the technology works really well with other printers. So if there are obvious uh, collaborations where they can test our machine and we can receive the feedback and make it better. There have been some interest to maybe integrate uh, our technologies in future uh, printer designs, but it's definitely a longer um, journey to understand how to license technologies and how to even collaborate between different uh, R&D teams to support to each other. Um, but we, we believe that this is where the true value of this technology can actually be unlocked when a printer can can read exactly what's happening with a dryer and dryer can feed back the information to the printer. You could build not just the dryer, you can build a quality assurance product where where end user understands each and every step that's happening with a print. So currently to expand slightly on that, so currently we're we're still working as a our collaboration still focus around our products kind of. Where we want to go is us offering technology solutions, not products. And uh, so if you see our collaborations nowadays, they're mostly us making sure that most brands of filaments work with most printer brands. So we test filaments in-house. We, we do all the necessary testing to make sure that the filament, for example, is dried even at its worst state. And it will also always work efficiently, reliably, repeatably these kinds of printers with these kinds of filament brands and same thing was done before with magigoo where we have tested so many different materials on different build surfaces and different printers and our collaborations have been limited to that aspect but now we are also a technology producer it's not just products anymore so we would like to see our technology being incorporated in the printer directly so the user doesn't have to make use of two different machines and made them together it would just be incorporated there he just feeds the filament if at all maybe the filament can be automatically feeded as well fed as well and he just hits print and he always gets the perfect result no matter what he starts with excellent yeah thank you very much that's very helpful so you work with as you mentioned, companies, you know, very, very broad range of customers and, and use cases. But are there a few that stick out for you as being really 
interesting stories where things are being made possible from either the Magic Goo or Drywise line? So one of the use cases from the Drywise side, for instance, is enabling materials to come to the market that were completely unprintable. So we are collaborating with well-known brands to bring to the market um, something that would make um, really recyclable or circular economy possible. The problem is that if you want to make that type of printable 3D printing material, you cannot add usual additives that help you make it easy to print, right? Because with recycling, you want to keep it to just the core resins, basically. But the problem is, if you keep them to that core, then... um, They're very hygroscopic. They're very hygroscopic to the level where even if you had dried it um, while printing, probably in two or three hours, it will be completely unprintable. And drywise being in line is, is making this possible. So we're really excited for that uh, possibility to actually enable in the industry to not only bring new materials, but also solve some of the very important um, environmental issues. So this is a material that was created over a year ago, was left on the shelf simply because there was no solution to make it work. No, thank you for for sharing that. Now, you mentioned earlier that part of what you offer is your expertise and you take all these steps to make the printing experience good for so many hardware platforms, so many materials. I was wondering if you might talk about that. I mean, there are just so many materials and so many 3D printers right now. How do you approach the challenges of uh, addressing so many? That's a very good question. So, I mean, obviously we don't address all of them because uh, especially from Asia, the, the market is flooded, completely flooded. So we focus on the bigger brands, the most well-known kind of the, the brands where I don't know, it's it's harder. So if you buy a printer which is cheap, then you would expect it to not always work, kind of. But if you buy a printer which is quite expensive, then the pain of it not working correctly is especially hard. And especially if you bought it for specific tasks in research and development, rather than just to print something that looks good, then you definitely want it to to work and work reliably and work repeatedly. And so we focus mostly on more technical materials as well. So in filaments, we don't focus on all the filaments. We don't test different colored PLAs, for example. We still test different colored nylons, for example, yes, because we see that certain additives affect performance and materials, but we, we limit those as well. So we mostly test what we think would make more sense and what would affect people the most. And also there are very similar variants of the same thing. Then we test one, maybe two or three of these, but we don't test them all. We take the assumption that they will work pretty much the same. And if then we get anyone suggesting that they don't, then we do test and the different variants as well. But obviously you have to choose somewhere. So what is 3D printing currently lacking? 
what would you like to see from a tech dev perspective? Well, the very generic view, it seems like 3D printing has been advancing quite quickly, but the last years, we haven't seen so much new innovation. It's incremental changes to make things smoother, better, but we haven't seen like jumps in completely new solutions, I would believe. So we're a bit uh, curious to see, okay, is that it? Or what is the, the next big thing as such? What we see is basically there's a lot of work on software to make that work much better, to take a lot of the guesswork out of the print setup, so to speak, right? So the printers are just trying to become more faster to do the same amount of quality job, but quicker, basically. And yeah, that's what we, we see that seems to be happening at the moment. I think there's also, again, from different markets, right? So you have from Asian markets, kind of the price consciousness is one thing that's being pushed a lot, whilst on the other end, you still want to have the best in quality and best in repeatability and reliability. And I think what what is still very missing is the educational part of it. Yes, you can get a very cheap printer, you can get a very expensive printer, but how should you choose between the two? When should you go for one or for the other? How would you know? What are you supposed to be doing with a more expensive one versus a cheaper one? And this kind of still missing today. And I think what is also possibly missing is it's very much still focused on the product. So the machines, the filaments, the accessories. But I think what will actually make 3D printing something widely adopted would be if all these come under one umbrella and they're presented as solutions. So I'm interested in printing nylons. Yes, so this is the right solution for you. It includes all the package. You can simply just plug it and play. Uh, whilst currently you cannot. So you have to figure out drying, you have to figure out the material, you have to figure out the printer, and then make these assumptions yourself. Spend all this money on maybe it will work or not. You, you're not even sure. And then take the risk. So if this education kind of is this choice was already prepackaged, this would make life of people employing these printers much easier. Because now you have a solution which is specifically for nylons or a solution which is specifically to print this type of material or this type of parts, for example, it's specifically for designers. I think this would be something that helps a lot. Yeah, to add education in all kinds of ways, as in even how do you design for additive manufacturing is, is very specific education on how do you choose the right material for your end use. Uh, it's not uh, very straightforward. And how do you pre-process uh, all of these things to, to get the most out of it? From statistics, there's only a fraction of companies who have the skill sets in-house uh, with a longer than five years experience. And, and these are the companies who are actually getting the value out of it. Any new ones are still going through the learning cycle of from PLA and then maybe moving towards the, the more engineering materials. Uh, we would want to see that skipped or fastened to the actual uh, value that printers can provide. 
Uh, I really appreciate hearing that vision of the future. I feel like those are good things to address, and I like that uh, solutions thinking. Now, um, I was wondering if you might have some tips that you could pass on to talking out of listeners to help them have some uh, have more successful experiences bringing together your products within 3D printing technologies for both producing parts and adding new uh, materials and capabilities. So I think one tip would be to read the manual, <laughs> the Magigo manual. <laughs> no, joking aside, I think one tip would be to really understand what it is they want to actually achieve from 3D printing, what is it they want to do. So is it uh, an actual end-use part? Is it a small manufacturing plant? Is it just a visual part? Because this obviously then guides you through the whole process of Yes, I can do it with this amount of investment and I don't need to worry about these other things or yes, to do this, it's kind of on the more difficult side of 3D printing. It's on the boundary, whether it's actually possible, feasible, etc. So these are the things I need to look at. I think that would be one thing that I would start from. Make sure to have a really good description of where I want to be with the different thing. My tip would be don't reinvent the wheel. Um, I mean, if in your area, your competitors are already uh, utilizing 3D printing, probably they have already invested good time and, and money into figuring things out. Maybe you can learn what they're doing and, and speaking more to resellers or even you know, material manufacturers or printer manufacturers and see their best case studies and see what is the closest to you and, and learn from that. Uh, mm. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, um, if listeners want to learn more about um, you and your work, uh, where would you direct them? Um, and where, where can they see some of the case studies that you all were, were mentioning, including the ones that are upcoming? So each of our product groups has a website. Magico.com is all about adhesives. Uh, there is a whole blog post. There is a link to tested materials where you'll find our database and manual, uh, which are constantly updated as well. And then DryWise has also its own uh, website, drywise.co, where you can find more uh, data coming up uh, from month to month, what materials are already tested and, and qualified for it, are certified, and uh, we'll be writing more blog posts about case studies where DryWise has been uh, very useful as well. We're also very, <laughs> very outgoing. So we're at most trade shows as well. So people can see us even there where we usually have live demos of the DryWise and we showcase the Magigoos as well. So anyone who's present at the shows can either see if we have a boot or if we're there physically, because we don't always have a boot, but we most, most of the time we're there present. Okay. So, uh, Andy, you, you'd mentioned that there is uh, something special you're going to be sharing at Formnext uh, 22 uh, this year. What should uh, those attending uh, go and check out? Yeah, we'll be there present from uh, November 15th till 18th. Uh, we'll have a booth in uh, Hall 11.1, uh, okay. booth number A54. We'll be presenting both DryWise 2.85 and 1.75. All the Magic Google products will be there as well, of course. 
but more excitedly, we'll, we'll, we'll be showing uh, this really impossible to print material, which is highly hygroscopic. It um, should be providing really high value for industrial use cases, and it's impossible to actually print without dry wise. And more importantly, that would become one piece in the circular economy. So once every puzzle piece in launching that material has been resolved, it would be really a really environmentally friendly solution. Well, that, that's fantastic. I look forward to checking that out. I know that there is just so much demand for, for sort of chasing some of these functional materials through uh, in terms of sustainability. So that this can be a real, real ad and uh, look forward to enjoying that. Uh, well, Andy and Edward, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Talking Additive. Thank you much for all of these details and educating us about adhesives and drying as well. Thank you, Matt. We appreciate this, this opportunity and we look forward to working closer together and to, to seeing the future of additive, how, how good it can be and pushing it forward together. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again to Magigoo creators Edward Borg and Andy Linnaeus from Thought3D for joining us today. We hope that you have enjoyed our 42nd episode for the Talking Out of Podcast, and we hope you have enjoyed all of Season 4. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn the hashtag TalkingAdditive, all one word. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at TalkingAdditive.com. Thank you again to Edward and Andy and to the rest of your colleagues at Thought3D. This episode and the entirety of Talking Additive Season 4 was made possible by generous production and marketing support from Ultimaker, who are also our sponsor for this episode. Episode editor is Paul Pontius from PGP Sound. Music and sound mix by Brian Scary and Giulio Carmasi of Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am Talking Additive's host and producer, Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues, customers, and experts about 3D printing's impact on business.